Thank you for tuning in to the sermon webcast of Living Savior. We are one church serving in two locations, Asheville and Hendersonville, North Carolina. For more information, go to lsavior.org. Are you a good listener? It's kind of an almost threatening question, isn't it? Kind of depends on who's asking you, too. Like if a spouse is asking the other one. It's maybe not the beginning of a great conversation. But truly, are you a good listener? Well, let's see. Say the word spot with me five times. Go ahead. Spot, 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 spot. At a green light, you... Ah, at a green light, you go. What are the letters R-O-A-S-T spell? What are the letters C-O-A-S-T spell? In a toaster, you put bread. How many days did it take Moses to build the ark? Moses didn't build the ark. And if a plane crashes on the border between the United States and Canada, where, you, where do you bury the survivors? You don't bury survivors. I know those are little tricks, and whether or not I caught you on all of those, I did catch some of you on some of those, which is super fun for me. But are you really good at listening? And it's more than just those little, like, quizzes and tricks and plays on words, right? Really listening, do do you know how important it is? There's a study done at the University of Missouri which noted that over 45% of all of communication is listening. There are things called passive listening and active listening. Do, Do we even know what that is? And do we even know how to enact those things if we're talking to somebody? Do we know how important and valuable listening really is and really all the damages that can happen if, if we actually don't listen? I mean, bad things can happen. You take, you take the young boy who wasn't really paying attention when he first starts up the, the car for his dad, and because of that, he ruins something that has to do with the ignition. You take the young lady who wasn't paying close attention, which is part of listening, to the note from the teacher when it said, please study these pages of the glossary. It's going to be an important part of the test. So she knows 60% of the material, A quality, but bombs it because she didn't study the other stuff. You take the husband and wife that are sitting down, and the wife really wants to say something important to the husband, and he thinks just because he is within earshot of the audible noises coming from her mouth, it doesn't really matter as he scrolls on his phone. Bad things can happen if you don't understand how to listen. It's such an important part of all of our life, even as we pay attention to what listening is not. Listening is not just sitting there quietly as we prepare our comeback. <laughs> Guilty? Listening is not just kind of understanding a little bit about the person and knowing where they're coming from. Listening, maybe if I took a stab at it, is knowing exactly what the person wants you to hear, what you think you want to hear, understanding the difference, and choosing their side over yours. Listening is knowing the emotions, the preferences, the personality, and the desire of that person who's speaking to you and saying, shh, to everything else. Those might lack. Those stabs at a definition, so to speak, from my part. But doesn't that illustrate how challenging listening is and how important it is also? It is so important for us, not only as we interact with one another, but also as we listen to what God says, partly because, and hugely because, God has decided to use his word, which means that in order for his word to continue to work, God also wants us as his believers to continually 
grow in our ability to listen. It's kind of like when we're talking to kids and they're, and what do you say? Listen. It's so important that God would even make it such a massive part of this pivotal movement in the way that he was going to work among his people. In the Old Testament reading, you just heard before from 1 Samuel chapter 3. Since it is so vital for us as we interact with one another, the people closest to us and even new acquaintances, how important is it then that God would want us to grow in our understanding of listening and even overcome those challenges so that he would enable us to not only become better at it, but even to grow through it. That's why we have this lesson this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 3. I invite you to have that open in front of you. Listening's not just hard for us. <clears throat> Listening was really hard for people in the time of Eli and Samuel. You saw that right at the beginning when it said the, the word of the Lord was rare. It doesn't mean that they didn't have God's word at all. They certainly had the first part of the Old Testament. All of those promises from God through Moses to his people, he would be their God and they should be his people. Every reason to follow in his commands and to live like his children, right? Rescued from slavery in Egypt, they had all of it. This is about a little over a thousand years before the time of Jesus, when Eli was the priest, as noted in this lesson. And what it means is that it's not that they didn't have God's word at all, as though they're walking around with complete silence, no. It is that they, there were no new updates. You know, kind of like when you get an update on your phone and things kind of look and sound just a little bit differently. It's kind of like that. God had not had another vision through one of his prophets in a while. It had been a while since he had done that. He's about to, but it had been a while. So that's why maybe it was hard to listen. We also note that maybe it was a challenge for God's people to listen when you look at Eli's sons. Eli had two sons by the name of Hophni and Phinehas. Little kids, if you snicker at the name Hophni, it's good reason, because if that was your name and you sat at the lunch table, kids might snicker at you. It's a little silly. But you may have heard of the name Phineas. Either way, these two boys were worse than your classic misbehaving preacher's boys. They would take some of the sacrifices in the form of bread and meat, and they would take it for their lunch. Probably a close apples-to-apples comparison would be like if you dropped cash in the offering plate and then you found out that one of the ushers snagged it so that they could go eat at 131 Main. Hmm. They kind of had their way with some of the women who were coming to worship in the temple courts. Hmm. They were wicked and evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he was going to say something about it. And part of the problem is because Eli wasn't doing necessarily a good job at being father. Oh, you boys, you kind of stop it. Anyone, whether you have children or not, do you, does the finger wag work with zero follow-through? You better quit it. Oh, boys will be boys. You're being naughty. Shape up. And then nothing? Does that work? No, even kids say, no, that doesn't work. And that's what Eli was doing. So, of course, the word of the Lord, it sure looked rare in the lives of even Eli's kids. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's biblical. Where was that? No, it was rare. There was no new vision. Eli was kind of acting it out. And that's why God needed to come and bring this new word. So what happens in the temple? There they are, and Eli is lying down to sleep. And Samuel is serving before the Lord a boy dedicated to this service from the time of his birth, or shortly thereafter, I should say. And the Lord comes to him, and he doesn't know that it's the Lord. The Lord had never come to him in this way before. That, that's what is described time and again. But 
We learn a lot about listening and how important it is just from Samuel, this boy. What is he, 10, 11, 12, 13, probably? What does he do the first time? He gets up and he runs to Eli. That kind of says something about how willing and eager this boy is to listen. Have you ever tried to wake up a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old boy in the middle of the night? You probably have better luck waking up a rock. But here's this boy who hears Samuel, and he gets up and he runs, eager to listen. Samuel, Samuel happens again and again. And finally, it dawns on Eli. It's been a while. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. It had been a while since the Lord had revealed himself in this way to, to somebody. And to Eli's credit, to God be the glory, he tells Samuel to say and even pray the perfect words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He says, not, what? Can you prove it that it's you, Lord? No. He does not say, wait, can, can, you, can, you, hold, can you hold on a second? I, I, I want to tell you something first. No. He doesn't say, can you, can you come tomorrow? I'm kind, of, I, I'm kind of busy. I want to catch some sleep, and I got some appointments in the morning, but maybe, maybe tomorrow would work. Would, would that? No. He says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. He says, Lord, that authoritative God over all title, acclaiming to him the ears that already belong to him and the, the attention that he deserves above everything else. He says, I'm your servant. Whatever it is that you would say, I would not merely, as the epistle James says, I would not merely listen to the word and so deceive myself, ourselves, but we would actually do what it says. Your servant. Used to listen. I used to be great. No, is listening. This ongoing action, not only of what we are doing in the present, but it impacts and forms and informs how we are going to function into the future. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So I'll ask that very, I'm not trying to be passive-aggressive, but I'll ask that very challenging question. Are you a good listener? God has not made his word rare. Oh sure, it may have been a long time since there has been this huge vision, as was the case for John on the island of Patmos when God gave him that revelation. But God has given you the entirety of his word between these covers of what we call scripture. Full, chock full of everything he has to, to say to you that you would know and believe. But if you were to give me your Bible, what would it look like? If it's on your phone, do you have that common muscle memory because it's just this place where you go to all the time? Scroll, scroll, click, open, because you're so used to it. Or if I'm looking at the pages, are the oils from your fingers made those white pages look kind of dirty tan and the cover's kind of coming apart and it could use a, use a new binding? The pages are well-worn. You might even remember where. You might not have photographic memory, but you might remember where you were. Right quadrant, right page, top. Or, or is it kind of collecting dust? It's on the nightstand, but it's underneath the remote control and maybe a couple other novels. That's the way that God has chosen to speak to you. So that kind of says something about how good we are at listening. What about when God has has things to say to you, and he doesn't really want you to give your opinion first. 
Like, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I've heard that, Lord, but I, I kind of, the way I've already kind of thought about that, no, 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 God, who exists before time, wasn't exactly asking for your opinion or mine because he's God. So before we would kind of try to formulate our presuppositions or opinions ahead of time, are we really going to be able to sit there and just, do you hear that? Nothing. Even in our own minds and hearts, to turn everything off and to literally say, like a dry vessel about to receive refreshing water, Lord. Speak in your word, for your servant is listening. What about when God has some very challenging things to say to us? Things that might cut us to the heart. Things that we really don't want to hear or listen to. Like when he talks to us about what we should do with our bodies and what we should not do. What he says about marriage and what he says marriage is not. What he says about children, what he says about parenting, what he says about the way that we would use all of our lives which belong to him, the way that we would even use resources that already belong to him to serve him and to benefit others, the way that we would encourage other people, the way that we would first pray for our leaders rather than want to throw tomatoes through our TV screen. Do we, according to our lives, sound like people who are continually saying, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, or do we kind of sometimes sound like we're the type of people who say, listen up, Lord, and the world, for I, your Lord, am speaking to you, my servants. <laughs> and yet, what does God do? What does God do through his word? I mean, imagine if God would do to us what we do with others. I mean, think about it. Let's say you come up to me, and you want to talk to me about something, and it's really important, and as you do, I do one of these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you want to tell me anything important after about like three seconds of that? As I'm texting somebody else, maybe checking my email. Checking email? Compared to listening to something important that you have to tell me? What would you want to do? First, you would want to give me one of these looks. Really? And maybe if you, you didn't have the bravery to tell your pastor, really, really, that's kind of silly, you wouldn't want to talk to me anymore. You just want to walk away and find somebody else who had a modicum of decency to be able to show some, some social skills to actually care about what you were saying, who knew in the slightest what it meant and how important it was to listen. Imagine if God dealt with us that way, which we think is completely reasonable. For all the times that I've been like that to God, what should he do? He should literally take his word and leave. For every time that we haven't paid attention or treated his word as though it's kind of low on the totem pole, he should really just take his word and go. And yet, what does God in his grace do to us and for us? He continually brings his word. Because God knows that it's through his word that he's going to reach you. That he's going to bring you and me to repentance. He's going to cut us to the heart, drive us to our knees, and build us and restore us back up again by the good news of forgiveness found only in the gospel. It is grace upon grace that God has even given us his word and allows us to still have it. Even to be able to say, the word of the Lord is not rare. we got Bibles everywhere. You can't walk into a room in this place without finding one and maybe tripping over one. The apps are galore. You can have one so it like dings your phone every other hour. I mean, you could set up anything. The word of the Lord is anything but rare. Isn't that grace? 
And then what does he say to you? He points you to a priest greater than Eli, the priest who wouldn't just offer some sacrifices as a picture, but would be the culmination of all sacrifices, the fulfillment of all pictures, the great high priest Jesus himself who gave his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. In his word, we find a prophet greater than anything Samuel would ever become. Although Samuel would anoint the great king of Israel, David, there would be a greater prophet who through his word, not just in Galilee, but even still today, the word made flesh would make his dwelling among us in our own hearts and lives by the Spirit so that we would hear forgiveness that actually has an effect on eternity in our lives and in the lives of many more. We would see Jesus in his perfect life showing not just in his death, but in his life, how his listening covers over our failure to do that before God. There's a time when Jesus was on his way to raise a girl from the dead. Think 911 urgency, right? Ambulance on the way. Here comes Jesus. There should have been flashing lights. And what happens? A woman who had been bleeding for 12 years stops him. He's got to go raise a dead girl. Tell me something that's more important. Tell me one thing that's more important than that. Raising a dead girl. I got nothing to. And yet there's this verse in the Gospel of Mark. She told him everything. Which means, and even in that moment, what was Jesus doing? Listening. The culmination of hell, in fact, the definition of hell, is separation from God. It is that there's no longer an, even an ability to hear from God because he just takes his presence and his word and goes. What else happened after Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prays, Father, not my will, but your be, yours be done. In other words, speak, your servant, the great servant and savior of all is listening. And then on the cross, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is in that moment that he is receiving the culmination, the punishment of God taking his presence, his peace, and his word, and is removing it so that there is only punishment to fill that void. And there on the cross, Jesus experienced that, where God said, fine, I'm going away, and you get the recourse. And he did that in our place so that God would never, ever look at you or me and take his word away. Instead, he would continually remind us that in Jesus and only in Jesus, in the it is finished and in the do not be afraid, I've risen from the dead, you have a Savior who loves you and has bought you back and redeemed you from that empty way of life handed down to you. For every failure to listen right here and in you, for our collective inability to be attentive to God's word, for those in every other sin, God takes the life and the death and resurrection of Christ and he pours that over every sin and washes it away so that as God looks at you, he doesn't see that on a track record at all. He only sees his son covering over you, his perfect life over you, his death which saves you, his resurrection which gives you life. And even now, God gives you the desire and the ability to grow and to listen, even when, even when, and maybe even especially when, it's hard. Do you know what happens? God certainly speaks to Samuel. He says, I'm going to take the priesthood away from Eli. His sons are going to die. 
Eli will eventually die too. And I'm going to build my people up. Eli woke up in the morning. You think he wanted to hear? What was it? Is he a pillar of cloud? Is it coming again? Like, is God going to do this lighting show? Is, he gonna, is the Messiah going to come? Do you like, Eli's probably like, what, what's going on here? You think he's hard as sight, as it noted? He's probably stumbling over the lampstand, or he really wants to hear. All right, Samuel, like you or I, probably didn't want to say it, but he does. Do you know what Eli said? Whatever is good and pleasing to the Lord, may it be. That's the heart of faith of a man who wants to hear God's word and even takes it to heart, even when it's tough. My dear friends, God has never promised you that this life is going to be easy, nor has he promised you that listening to him and his word is going to be easy. But what does he promise? He promises you a greater reality in eternity. He promises you that although your life is challenging, it is going to be harder than otherwise at times to listen, but you will be greater for it. He is going to guide you away from the emptiness of this life. He gives you life that does not end as opposed to life in this world, which does. He gives you resurrection, that is, this rising up and living before him and living out your baptism so you would know that no matter what this world might try to fill your ears and your head and your heart with, it is only noise in comparison to what your God gives. So that now, forgiven and redeemed children, you and I can continually wake up and rise before the Lord in our baptism and say to the Lord always as we pray, speak, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. May God grant that to us all. Amen.